The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The lawyer is on the right track, at least in some ways. He cares about eternal life, which is better than can be said for most of our world. Most of our world is devoted to the things of this world, to temporary, temporal, earthly, worldly things the world sets its mind on things that are passing away and not on things that last forever. But this lawyer, he cares about eternal life, and that's good. It's a good starting place. He has asked a poor question. You heard it already in the beginning there in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a poor question because, of course, you can do nothing to inherit an inheritance. You receive an inheritance simply by virtue of your birth. A son receives an inheritance simply because he is the son of his father. There's nothing he can do to receive an inheritance. That's the lesson that the prodigal son learned. He thought he would come back and try to earn something, some portion, some small part of the inheritance that once belonged to him. And he came back and he found that his father had never disinherited him at all. It belonged to him because he was a son. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, at least in this way. He cares about eternal life. But we often have our own ideas about what eternal life looks like. So just for a moment, explore your own imagination. When you think about heaven, what does it look like? Does it look like retirement or a long vacation? Does it look like sitting in the deer stand or on a boat, quiet, in the middle of the lake with the steam rising? Does it look like simply enjoying the things around you? Gardening, going for a walk, 
peace and quiet? What does it look like? Does it look like the kinds of things that you love right now, the things that occupy all of your attention? What does it look like? Does it look like streets of gold with angels fluttering their wings and everybody singing hymns all day long? What does it look like? I want to suggest to you this morning that we get heaven very wrong in our imagination, and Jesus helps us to get it right this morning. He shows us a picture of the difference between heaven and hell in the parable that he tells. In fact, I'd suggest to you that you can picture it this way. Heaven is one side of the road, and hell is the other. So there was a man injured and left for dead lying on the side of the road, and the priest and the Levite walked by on the other side. When they saw that poor man lying there, left for dead, and they had the means and wherewithal to help him, and they knew that they should, they passed by on the other side of the road. For whatever reason, maybe I'm too busy, I've got too much going on, I have other things that I need to get to, somebody else will surely come along and help this guy. Maybe the robbers that beat him are still around the corner, I've got a family to think of, I shouldn't go and take care of him. Maybe it's just a fraud, maybe it's a ruse, I've seen this act before. He's pretending to be injured, and if I go and help him, then he's going to rob me. Maybe they were just degenerate. I hate that guy. I've seen him around here before. He got what he deserved. Whatever kinds of thoughts were in their minds, they were selfish. Purely selfish. They saw that poor man lying on the side of the road, left for dead, and they thought about themselves. What was good for them? What would feel good? What would be comfortable? What would benefit them? And they did not think for once what would be good for that poor man. And that, I tell you, is hell. Living for yourself alone, loving yourself above all else, getting absolutely everything you want all the time according to your own selfish desires, that is hell. That other side of the road is hell. And that may sound surprising, and I hope it does in some way, because of course that's what the world thinks should be heaven. Just getting your own way, getting to do what you want, getting to enjoy yourself, having all of the difficulties and troubles of life, the things that bother you, the things that get in your way, all of the distractions, all of the danger and all of the concern for other people, getting rid of all of that, that would be heaven. But it is, in fact, quite the opposite. To think only about yourself, to be turned in on yourself, that is hell. And the priest and the Levite were there unable to think about what would be good for this poor man, unable to love. They lived already in hell. But look for a moment at the other side of the road. A strange thing happens, and this was alarming to everyone who listened to Jesus. In fact, at the end of the story, when Jesus says, who was a neighbor to this man, the lawyer can't even say, the Samaritan. He simply says, the one who showed him mercy. He can't say, the Samaritan, because the Samaritan is the last person you'd expect to help an Israelite. He would have choked on the words the lawyer would have, trying to say that somehow this Samaritan had done a loving thing. And yet that's what the story shows us. The Samaritan, when he saw the man injured and lying half dead, did not stop for one moment to think about what would be good for him. Whatever his plans were, however urgent they were, wherever he was going, he didn't care anymore. He was moved to compassion. He saw his neighbor in need, and he loved him, and he helped him. He sacrificed for him. He gave of his own possessions, his own time, his own energy, and wrote a blank check to the innkeeper 
so that he could be well cared for even when he couldn't do it himself. And that, I tell you, is heaven. Not in that other people will be doing those things for you, but that you yourself will love in that way. That is heaven. To love perfectly, selflessly, sacrificially, to not be paused or hesitant because you're thinking of yourself, but instead to love willingly and freely because it's good for your neighbor, that is heaven. That's what heaven is like. Now, of course, granted, there are not situations like this in heaven. There are no people left for half dead on the side of the road, no robbery, no injury, no wickedness. But the love that drove the Samaritan to stop and help this man, that love is there. In fact, that is all that is there. What did we sing in that hymn? Oh, grant that nothing in my soul may dwell but thy pure love alone. That is heaven. The love of God, shown to us, then shown to our neighbors through us. That is heaven. Now, there are many people who, on hearing this, hearing that that's what heaven is like, heaven is stopping to help the poor guy in need, there are many people who would say, and even Christians, who would say, that's not what I signed up for. That sounds really inconvenient. That sounds costly. I thought that heaven was kind of a break from costly things. I thought that heaven was rest and ease. I thought I wouldn't have to think about this kind of stuff anymore. That's what heaven should be. But in fact, it isn't. Heaven is thinking about your neighbor all the time and what's good for him. I'd rather keep on doing all of the things that I love right now. That's what people say to themselves. I'd rather keep doing all of the things that I'd rather be doing on a Sunday morning. That is what I thought heaven was. I could stop going to church. I could stop being busy with this and I can just do the things that I want to do. That's what heaven is, isn't it? I can keep being greedy. I can keep being consumed by lust. I can keep on gossiping all of these things that I enjoy. That's what heaven should be, isn't it? Finally getting my heart's desire. And so, on hearing that heaven is love. Love fulfilled. Love perfected. Love given to you and given by you, many turn away. Many can't have it. Many won't have it. It's like when Jesus said hard things to his disciples and many turned away. And then when there were 12 left, Jesus said, are you going to go away as well? And St. Peter faithfully said, Lord, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Turns out that most people in our world simply don't want eternal life. They'd rather live on the other side of the road. They'd rather live with that priest and the Levite. They'd rather pursue their own good. They'd rather follow their own heart. And so they get what they want. And worse, they think it's going to be delightful, but in the end, it is received with God's wrath and punishment and eternal death. Now, there are others who, on hearing this, on hearing this parable, will think to themselves, that's fantastic. I'm just like that Samaritan. I love helping people who are in need. I help people all the time. I love giving of myself to others. It's a wonderful thing. And that may well, in fact, be true. It may be that you are a loving, giving, kind-hearted person, and thank God for that. But part of the reason that Jesus tells this parable to the lawyer is because this was a particular sin that the lawyer struggled with. Notice how he answered He knew that God's law required loving God with your whole heart, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He knew that. And so Jesus showed him that he wasn't loving quite the way he thought he was. The man wanted to narrow the scope of love. Who's my neighbor? Give me a list of people and I'll take care of them. I love helping just a small list of people. 
people who do favors in return for me. And when Jesus says, what about your enemy? Well, things get a little bit more difficult for this man. You go and do likewise. Can you imagine his ears turning red, his blood boiling? Why would I do that? Well, Jesus knew what was in this lawyer's heart, just like he knew what was in that rich young man's heart who came to Jesus and asked him what he should do. All these commands I've kept since my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You see, it wasn't a failure to love his enemies that that man struggled with. It was his love of his own possessions. And so Jesus showed it to him. So here's the question for you today. What would it be for you? What would Jesus say to you, this is what you must give up, this is what you must change, this is what is good that you don't love, this is what is evil that you do love. What is it in your heart? What is it that Jesus would say to you? I don't know. I wish often, (laughs) I wish often that I had that power. And it's probably good that I don't, to know what's in everyone's hearts, because then I could tell the right story to each one of you. But I can't. So instead, remember what you know of God's word. Examine your hearts according to the Ten Commandments and see. See what of God's law you would rather do away with. What of God's law you'd rather shrink so that you can enjoy yourself and follow your own heart. Sure, I'll speak kindly about everyone, but that guy, he deserves a foul word. Sure, I'll go to church on Sunday when I don't have anything else going on. Sure, I'll honor my father and mother, but sometimes they're really dumb And I don't want anything to do with them. What is it for you? Imagine Jesus telling you this story, a story like this one, and then saying to you, you go and do likewise. How would those words strike you? Would you throw up your arms like the world and say, that's the last thing I want. If that's what heaven is, I don't want anything to do with it. Or would you say to yourself, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I've got it all taken care of. You go and do likewise. Instead, let your hearts say this. When you hear those words from Jesus, when you hear him say, you go and do likewise, you go and love your neighbor, you go and love God's law, you go and serve those around you, instead of being smug and self-satisfied or throwing your arms in despair, say this, Lord, help me, a sinner. God, grant me grace to love what you command. That's what we prayed in our collect of the day. Let that be your prayer. Let that be your prayer simply for this reason, because God says it is good. According to our sinful nature, according to our fallen sinful hearts, we have no idea what is good. We pursue all of the wrong things, and so God teaches us. And when we discover that our hearts love the wrong things, pray. Repent and pray that God would lead you in paths of righteousness. Above all else, however, get this right. Get this right. The order is not the way we think it should be. Remember again, this lawyer asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When you pray that God would lead you in paths of righteousness, that he would teach you to love his law and to love your neighbor and to love him above all else, do not think for a moment that if only you could succeed in doing that, then finally you would inherit eternal life. Then finally you would be worthy of heaven. If only you could be like this Samaritan, then you would inherit heaven. It will never happen. It will never happen, and also, it is not what God demands of you. The demands of the law, the demand to love your neighbor as yourself, has been kept by Christ for you. The demand of God's law, which ends in judgment for sinners like you and me, it has been fulfilled in Jesus. 
This is what our epistle lesson was all about. I know it's kind of a confusing thing. Paul is often a little bit confusing, especially when we jump in in the middle of a, of a lesson like this. But here's what Paul is saying. God gave his law to the people of Israel 430 years after Abraham. Abraham was dead and gone, and the people were slaves in Egypt, and God brought them out of Egypt, and at Mount Sinai, he gave them his Ten Commandments. Now, you would be tempted to think that at the giving of those Ten Commandments, God is saying, here's your path to salvation. Do these ten things, and you will live. And, of course, in one sense, it's true. If you could do them, then you would live. But you can't. And so God gives his law to us for a different reason. Not so that we can earn our salvation, but so instead we can learn to trust in him. After all, St. Paul says, 430 years before God gave those Ten Commandments, God spoke to Abraham a promise. The promise was that he would have offspring that number more than the stars in the sky. That from him would come offspring by whom all nations would be blessed. That in him was the seed that would lead to Jesus. That in him, that in Abraham's faith, the promises of God are delivered to you and to me. You see, giving the law at Mount Sinai, giving the Ten Commandments, couldn't do away with those promises. Those promises were there. And in fact, Paul could have gone back even further, all the way to the Garden of Eden, right after Adam and Eve fell into sin. God spoke to the devil and said, Jesus is going to crush your head. You're going to be done for. The curses that you brought onto the world by your temptation, it's going to be over. I'm going to save my people. That promise was given already so long ago. And nothing, not the law of God, not your sin, not your doubt, not your weakness, none of that can undo God's promises. His promises are the one thing that endures. All flesh is like grass, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's how you should think of yourself. You shouldn't ask yourself, considering today's parable, how do I get? How can I get to that right side of the road? How many steps do I have to take? Where can I get to the point where I'm finally loving like that Samaritan so that I can inherit eternal life? Instead, rejoice in this. You're already there. You're already on the heaven side of the road by faith. You already have the love of God, which fills your heart so that you can love your neighbor. You already have the promises of God, in Jesus' death on the cross to forgive all of your sins. You already have it now. You're already there. You're already in heaven at this moment. That changes things. That would have changed things for this lawyer. He needed to learn that he couldn't do anything to inherit eternal life. We all have to learn that. Our flesh wants to do it, but it can't. So hear God's law and repent. And praise God that in the death of Jesus and in his resurrection, life and eternal life have already been given to you. They are yours by his grace. That is why the promises of God reign supreme. It's why when we hear his law, we pray that God would fulfill it in our hearts and thank God that he has already done it for us. It's why we keep coming to church again and again, because when you leave church, you enter into a world that fills your ears with thoughts and questions like this lawyer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Forget it. It's already been done for you. So instead, rejoice in this, that even now, even right now, you actually begin to live this way, to live in love for your neighbor, to live by faith, completing the works that God has established for you, get this, from before the foundation of the world, the good things that God has given you to do in your life, he has prepared for you long before you were born, long before the world was even formed. So rejoice. 
that you get to live there, on that side of the road, with the Samaritan. Rejoice in Jesus' command. Go and do likewise. Thank God that you get to do it. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.